0: and welcome to the Home System Podcast, episode number 39. My name is Phil and joining me as always is Rohan. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. And joining us today is, from the USA, is Sean. Welcome.
1: Hey, hi. thanks for having me. Whereabouts in the
0: States are you from, Sean?
1: Uh, South Carolina.
0: Oh, very nice. So on the East Coast. Oh yeah, yeah. Alright, right, well, before we get too carried away with you, Sean, we first have to go through the uh, latest changes that are happening with Home Assistant. And I think the big change since our last episode is that Home Assistant now has a Wednesday release cycle. So this now means that Home Assistant, uh, both the beta and the live version of Home Assistant, or the proper release, will now be released on a Wednesday as opposed to the weekend uh, this should give everyone, uh, especially the Home Assistant core team, a bit of time to relax on the weekends, as opposed to racing around putting fires out as they are released.
2: Yeah, so hopefully that works out a little better, and uh, hopefully that works out better for the stability of the system too. So exactly. On uh, some other cool news, so the podcast, this Home Assistant podcast, is now available on Spotify. So if you if that's how you consume your podcast, then fantastic. That's where we are. We'll leave a link in the show notes and join us there as well.
0: Carrying on from our previous State of the Union special episode, Paulus gave a talk in Amsterdam, was, of course, the VO on the Home Assistant blog. But I think another important announcement that came out of this is something that Paulus said, and we'll play that now.
1: And so today, we actually I'm announcing we have our first hire of Nabucasa, and that's Pascal Visely. He is the founder of HasIO. He is a core developer of Home Assistant. And soon he's gonna start working full-time on home assistant. And now that means that we're doubling our capacity of full-time employees. <laughs> so that's gonna be great because it at least gives me some rest because even though you know I'm like the one full-time employee and so every chore lands on my plate, right? Because it's kind of silly to have like all these people in their free time and be like, oh yeah, do all these chores. I mean still people do chores, but like all the a lot of the release management I do now. I do it. And I at least I'll be able to share this burden.
0: So I think this is uh, really big news. Uh, Home Assistant now has two full-time developers or two full-time staff working for Nebukasa for Home Assistant. So this is going to one double the amount of people working full-time on Home Assistant. But uh, it's really see- uh, I think we'll see a lot of growth in Home Assistant and particularly in HassIO as well. Pascal's done a lot of great work with HassIO. So. This is really exciting stuff.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And I look forward to seeing what else they put out. So, so far, it's been great. And let's see what happens from here. Yeah. So also in 0.84, Lovelace is going to be the official UI. So this is some pretty big news there. As soon as you update by default, you will be using Lovelace. So in the next episode, we'll have more details, of course, just uh, as, as more details about that emerge.
0: Yeah, that's uh, exciting. I, I think it hasn't been that long since Lovelace was first announced. So, yeah, it's finishing off the year with uh, the switching over the UI to Lovelace. That's really interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, that's that's it's not a bad thing. So, yeah. There we go. Exciting. All
0: right, but before we get too carried away, we have to uh talk about 0.83 and There's a lot in this release, so just brace yourself. Uh, First, uh, new features that are being released in 0.83, and the most important one, I think, for Google Assistant users is going to be lock support. So you can now have your Google Assistant uh, lock your doors and also optionally unlock them. Uh, If you want to enable unlocking, you need to switch it on in the configuration YAML file or in the configuration UI. So yeah, that's really cool. Google Assistant users, you can now have, uh, I guess you can add it to a routine or whatever the applicable terminology is in Google Assistant. So when you go to sleep, you can say, hey, Google, it's bedtime and have Google Assistant lock everything up for you.
2: Yeah, you just got to be careful of enabling the unlock as well, right? So just there is a risk in that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um,
2: You don't want somebody yelling, hey, open the door and, you know, your door unlocks, right? So you don't, you don't, you want to see if you can avoid that. At all costs. Exactly. So Uh, Just do be careful, though there is some convenience behind it. There may be a security implication there as well. Also, now your Google Home devices can be used as Bluetooth device trackers. So that's kind of cool. I guess you can use your Google Homes to detect other devices like your phone to see if they're home or not. So as long as you have your phones on, uh, phones and their Bluetooth on, rather, uh, it doesn't need to be paired and uh, it should just detect it and uh, hopefully... You can pull it from the API. So this is using the unofficial API, like I said, but uh, that's still pretty neat. If you have a Google Home already in every room, you may not need to have other device trackers in your house. So that's handy.
0: That's really cool because basically all those Google Home devices become little Bluetooth beacons that you can just use to trace where your phone is. So. I know one of the problems with using Bluetooth is it's short range. If you've got a large house, maybe you have a multi-story house, you can, your Bluetooth may not reach the whole length of the house. Mm-hmm. So if you've got multiple devices, and as long as you're connected to one of those or being able to be seen from one of those devices, you'll be marked as home. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of people have multiple as well, right? So to do you know specific things yeah. to say, hey, I'm in... and And, and, and it'd be interesting to see how it detects uh or how accurate the detections are so um uh, you know if i have one in every room now can i say room detect or can i use this for room detection mm, exactly. rather than for just a home or not so um we'd love to hear back uh hear your feedback on that uh, if anybody's tried it out um so yeah let us know
0: all right and also uh, some more Google Home love, and also some Amazon Echo love, is now onboarding cards for Google Home and the Amazon Echo. So now you can see which devices are exposed to uh, the Amazon Echo and Google Home, and it will also allow you to uh, toggle them on or off. So you can disable uh, the Amazon Echo integration if you need to from the UI. No YAML needed. So that's cool. Yeah,
2: that's handy. So, if you're using the Fibro Home Center hubs, we've got another uh, Z-Wave hub added to the uh, this release. So, if you're using the Fibro, there you go.
0: That's actually a, a pretty popular one as well. So, good to see support for that.
2: Yeah. I, for, for some reason, I thought this was in here already. So, that's uh, it's, it's interesting that it wasn't.
0: And if you are a fan of Lovelace, and I'm sure a lot of you are, there's now a new shopping list Lovelace card which has been added. I'm excited to try this out, actually. I use the Amazon Echo for my managing my shopping list. So hopefully one day there'll be an integration where if I tell my Amazon Echo to add something to the shopping list, and hopefully the Lovelace card can then have it added in the UI as well. That would be cool. Uh, I don't think it's possible yet, but yeah, there's potential for that in the future, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Also, if you use Tautili, which is a Plex media server extension, you can start seeing the stats from your uh, from your Plex media server into Home Assistant. So things like you know what's the top TV, uh, top movie or TV show, how often do you transcode, so on and so forth. So that's now in that's
0: cool. Home Assistant. And TP-Link LTE routers are now supported. Uh, currently, only supports the ability to send an SMS uh, from the router. Uh, which I thought was, all right, cool, this is another, you know, device tracker platform, but uh, no, uh, not yet, but the ability for a router to send you an SMS, that's actually really cool.
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah,
0: I uh, I had my ISP decided to do some uh, maintenance, which I wasn't told about, and it wasn't until my Uh, Uptime Robot reported that Home Assistant was actually offline, that I knew my whole network was down and it wasn't my problem. So the ability for a router to send an SMS, that's pretty handy.
2: Yeah, that is actually very handy. I wonder if you can customize those SMS too. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Also, the Track Car Device Tracker Support. So essentially, this comes in as a new GPS device tracker. You can now start tracking more devices. It's got a. It's got over 1,500 devices, it says, so that's interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a Hasso add-on as well. Frank released a Hasso add-on for that tracker component as well. Mm. I did a bit of uh, research into this because I thought 1,500 GPS devices, like this has to be pretty interesting, and there's a lot out there. There's uh, talk of also, uh, you know, the, I think it's OBE port on your car that you can just plug into... Yeah. Uh, and get like, yeah. Apparently, there's uh, a couple out there that can just plug into your car and then they can report the GPS and your car status via this tracker protocol.
2: Very cool. Okay.
0: Yeah. The, the limited research I did was, wasn't was filling me with confidence that any of them actually work or will be, a, you know, work in <laughs> Australia yeah. at least. So, uh, and a lot of. It, it, For these 1,500 devices, a lot of them seem to be coming out of China. So, yeah. But if someone's using this component, I would love to hear about it. Feedback at haspodcast.io and just be very interested to see what the use cases are for this as well.
2: Yeah. And um, I'm looking at the – I'm actually looking at their website right now. And it's, you know, when I'm looking at just supported devices, just a bunch of, you know, like – kg 300 and like, like, like just a bunch of essentially model numbers numbers. there. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's hard to tell what, what that actually is. So yeah. So if if folks are using it, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh,
0: the Norwegian public transportation sensor has been added. This was, I'm guessing it's a similar one. Uh, recently we had the Sydney, uh, New South Wales transportation sensor. So another public transportation sensor has been added to home assistant. Well, I always appreciate those. So thank you for that contribution.
2: There you go. Also, I hopefully I'm saying that right, which has a alarm control panel, uh, is now supported. Another alarm control panel. Excellent. That's right. And upload and download sensors
0: for the ASUS WRT, which was from our previous episode, episode 37. Magnus mentioned that he might add this in. So he's added it in uh, for this release. So if you want to know how much you're uploading and downloading and you're using the ASUS WRT sen- uh, component, there it is. It's available now.
2: Yeah. Also, 17track.net, which seems to be a package tracking website. So uh, you can now start tracking packages. And based on that, you can say, you know, you can use you can use different automations and such to say, okay, you know, my packages here blink, the whatever green or blink a light green or something like that. Right? Yeah. So uh, 17track.net is now supported.
0: And for those that recently uh, were got a bit excited about the recent NASA Mars landing of the latest robot on Mars, there's a launch sensor to keep track of whenever there's a space launch around the, around the planet. So this should complement the ISS sensor pretty well. Maybe you can track when the next ISS uh, food delivery is going to be and automate something around that.
2: <laughs> That's cool. Also, the W800 RF32 sensors. Sorry, that's a little bit of a mouthful. Um, (laughs) So the W800 family of uh, RF receivers are essentially, they work with X10. So if you have any X10 devices and want to bring that support in and you have W800 family, now you're in luck.
0: That's great to see some old, well, old hmm. i guess legacy home automation protocols still being added into home assistant
2: yeah that's some of the original stuff that's great
0: yeah and uh, another health related component submitted by aaron batcher who you may remember from our spotlight episode on developing for home assistant this one is the flu near you sensor which is a i believe it's only available in the states though But I I think it uses data from uh, the CDC, from the American government, which is like the Center for Disease Control. And you can basically track how likely you are to get the flu or where the latest outbreak of the flu is. So yeah, if you need to, if you want to have an excuse to stay home and work on Home Assistant, just (laughs) add that to your Home Assistant coding. There you go. That's
2: right. That's right. Also, from a platform perspective, there's now the Light Switch platform added, which is great, and is very timely for Christmas tree season. So, yes, there you go. This this will this will help with uh, voice assistant and such as well. So, yeah, because a lot
0: of uh, I think a lot of Z-Wave uh, switches, you know, their their appliance switches, right? So they turn things on and off, but they don't have they're not treated as a a light yeah. in a home assistant. So you can't add them to like a light group. Uh, in Home Assistant, but this, yeah, this will basically allow you to just port it over into a, a light in Home Assistant and let it be added as a group. So, yeah, a very timely addition for Christmas season. That's right. All right, and some breaking changes. There's actually a few breaking changes in the release, but we've just cherry-picked a couple here that we thought uh, would be should be highlighted. Uh, the logbook has had some speed improvements done. They're trying to make it a little bit faster, which we always appreciate it. Uh, but as part of the updates, there are a few changes to the way uh, the include and exclude domains works in your configuration, where you had uh, both exclude and include domains specified. Uh, the excluded domains are ignored now. Right. Uh, they weren't previously ignored, but they will be ignored now. So uh, that's just to make sure things a little bit more consistent uh, with other platforms as well. But if you are using uh, include and exclude in the logbook component, just there is a breaking change. You'll need to be wary of i don't think it will affect too many people but yeah just something that to, to highlight there
2: interesting okay also um if you use the xiaomi aquara uh platform so all the events are now prefixed with xiaomi aquara so uh sorry xiaomi underscore aquara and so, you'll need to go ahead and uh, update all your automations and such. Um, so, things like button clicks and so on and so forth will be affected from an automation perspective.
0: Yeah. I'm guessing there must have been some conflicts with other components out there. So, they've had to make sure everything doesn't
2: step on each other's toes. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that is what it is. So,
0: And some other noteworthy updates. There is now Australian support for Waze. So, I have a special thank you for Troy Kelly for adding that. Thank you very much. I cannot wait to move away from Google Maps uh, for time tracking my commute and getting uh, better accuracy information from Waze. So thank you very much, Troy. That's wicked. All right, Sean, it's that time of the episode where we're going to turn our attention to you now. And I think we'll start off with our standard first question, which is how long have you been using Home Assistant for?
1: Now it might be around a year and a half, I think. Okay. Yeah, maybe a year and a half, close to two years now getting
2: there. Yeah, that's a decent amount of time.
1: Yeah, it's been, I'm, I'm looking back, I'm surprised just how much time I've been spending on it. I feel like I still don't know very much. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's that's kind of always the case, though.
0: Is Home Assistant your first foray into home automation? Or have you used anything else?
1: Uh, yeah, as far as, um, I guess, like a central hub, I, I first got into it, I, my first purchase was a Nest. And I was just more curious about controlling it from afar. Like if I left, I was living with a roommate at the time and we had different schedules. So something that was just uh, set it and forget it and it would just learn when we were gone. And it was just very convenient for us. Right. And then I wanted to branch out. And then uh, they, I don't know if they still have this program, but it's like a works with Nest. Yeah. Thing. And I think I saw the Hue light bulbs on there. And then I bought a starter set and it just... Gradually got one or two items for that. And then all of a sudden I have, you know, six different apps on my phone that only controls one thing in my house. And I just thought uh, there has to be something better out there to, uh, manage all this. And I think I saw on Reddit somewhere, someone was talking about home assistant and I checked it out and then, uh, a whole lot of a lot of confusion later, I uh, I got my system up and running and it and everything talks together and it's, it's wonderful.
0: And so what are you using to run Home Assistant? Are you still using a Raspberry Pi?
1: I used to run it on a, I have the uh, original uh, Raspberry Pi 1B that I had kicking around. I think I used it for like an XBMC player way back mm-hmm. when it first came out. And so I just chucked it on there because I was looking for a use for it anyways. And um, it was great for a while. It's just Eventually, it got really slow, it was, you know, yeah. the, the first gen especially, and restarts were taking several minutes, and you have to restart Home Assistant a lot sometimes, and eventually, I ported it over to my computer. I uh, got a virtual machine with Lubuntu on it, and I've just been running it off that ever since.
2: Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny, because you're saying that I'm I'm actually staring at my Pi one B, which I started same same exact same deal. I started it on uh, on that too, and yeah,
1: yeah, it's great. And, I mean, I just turned the uh, Pi into a Pi hole now, so I mean, it's it's still still useful.
2: Yeah, that's cool. Are you are you using HasIO at all, or just standard uh, standard Home Assistant?
1: Just the standard Home Assistant stuff. Uh, the uh, Linux installation method that they have detailed on the Home Assistant site.
2: Okay, so you've
0: obviously started out with you know the raspberry and a couple of nest products since you started using home assistant have has that uh sort of started a new shopping list for you where you've had to branch out and start buying more stuff to fulfill your home automation needs
1: (laughs) but yeah i mean i've stuck with you for the longest time i'm still sticking with you and i i haven't branched out to try any other bowls just because i mean i found something that works i don't want to spend money on something that i've never tried before yeah. Aside from the, that kind of thing, I started uh, getting their uh, Hue motion sensors, and just wanted to try that. Out. And turns out the their motion sensors are awesome, and so uh, all my lights now in the house are triggered by motion sensors. And uh, then uh, someone came out with an awesome resource where it's just a website uh, detailing uh, different components that work with Home Assistant. Yeah. I can't remember who did that.
0: Was it um, uh, Awesome HA?
1: No, I, I might have a bookmark somewhere. It's just someone where they just went through and made a website of all compatible home assisted devices, and they have everything on there. And I remember seeing a company and a Chinese kind of uh, Xiaomi, and that's when I saw like, wow, all this stuff for so so little money. And it's like, surely, surely they have a lot of cool stuff. And sure enough, they did. I ordered a bunch of stuff on there and took about a month to get here. But that's been <laughs> worth it ever since, too, because their motion sensors, I mean, are they're probably better than the Hue ones in some regards. And but just other things like, you know, door and window sensors has just been slowly branching out and just now got to figure out a time to maybe branch out a little bit more and wait another month.
0: If there's anything in home automation, like home, anything, as soon as you put smart home on a product package, the price goes up exponentially, oh, yeah. and then it's it's really hard to justify that price to anyone else.
1: Yeah, especially with the Hue motion sensors now. Now, I mean, they're great and all. I wouldn't buy them again just because I think they're forty bucks. Whereas yeah. the Xiaomi ones, yeah. I think I can get them for twelve and some change. So it's just like now. If I could do it all over again, I just would have started with uh, maybe the hue bulbs still, but I just would've stuck with all Xiaomi, you uh know, everything else,
2: probably. Sure, sure. Can't say you blame me for that one though, right? It's uh I'm I'm kinda of in that same boat where I have all of my stuff and then now I'm like, ah, I should have done that. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's and, and and it's great. I mean it's super cheap. It takes a month, so that's a problem. I'm I'm in the same boat. It takes about six weeks for me, right? So
1: Yeah, but it's price points. You can't beat it
2: are you running anything else
1: oh man you're gonna make me open up my home assistant um <laughs> let's see and yeah, we got a couple xiaomi stuff now smart tv you know a couple chrome i did get the chromecast a while while that way before all this started mm-hmm. let's see oh we recently got a uh neato robot bag that's probably my wife's favorite thing oh yeah a couple of smart plugs here and there i mean it's kind of like your your basic stuff starting out i mean I when I first started, out, I was primarily focusing on like what what can the app itself handle, like the Hue app. What what can it do on its own? What can Nest do on its own? Before you know, I branched out into Home Assistant and realized like, oh wow, I can literally tie everything together and have it just work in one big one big automation and didn't have to rely on any other outside sources.
2: Yeah, what, what what's interesting is I think out of most people, most people that we talk to, it's uh, you've somehow found a way to keep your the number of ecosystems in there kind of kind of compact right between mostly between hue and xiaomi that's that's uh, that's interesting cuz it's it's a lot of people is like oh yeah i have two of these one of that thing and they all do the same thing right like <laughs> and, and 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 i'm not any different yeah i think i'm running four zigbee networks
1: yeah i've just been sticking like what can do the same job but what is the cheapest
0: yeah yeah and that's the thing right you start off with something and then you realize oh it maybe it would be better to if I start slowly migrating to over here, and then you start use, migrating to like that ecosystem, and then something else comes out, and then you are in with three ecosystems, and then another one, and it all adds up pretty quickly.
1: Oh
2: yeah,
1: I, I see people Reddit posts all the time about how they're all they're migrating out to Z Wave or or something along those lines. Like, man, that's like, do you guys have like infinite money? It's just like all that <laughs> stuff, just migrating constantly. got that's, that's so expensive.
2: Yeah, that's why. So it, it's funny because for me, I, I actually started out with Z-Wave switches. And then uh, at some point I switched to Lutron. And so I have four switches in my house that are Z-Wave. And everything else is Lutron. And it's like, and, I'm, and part of me is like, okay, I got to migrate these. And then the rest of me is like, I don't want to spend a couple hundred bucks on that. Like, yeah. it works, but...
1: Well, yeah, that's the yeah. thing, especially when I'm trying to, you know, convince someone else, like, hey, we need this and here's why. And they don't ever believe sure. it. But um, it's just like, if it works, uh, you know, just keep it that way. It works fine.
0: So what are you using for presence detection in your house?
1: The uh, Asus WRT uh, component. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we just have it look for our phones whenever our phones appear on the network. You know, we're home. I don't I didn't go any more in depth than that i thought about using like gps and and other things but i was also thinking about battery life for our phones and it's just like so far we've had zero issues just using you know the uh, wi-fi uh, network detection
2: yeah okay hey everyone i just wanted to take a minute to talk about the eufy video lock it's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy video lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy video lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though, is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored. So you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock, to see how you can gain complete control of your door.
1: I had it like set up to where like, hey, if we go away, it remembers our devices, I think, for five minutes before it decides that we're really gone in case one of us drops off the network for whatever reason. But I I don't think we've ever had a false positive or or anything like that yet.
0: Yeah, the Wi-Fi presence detection is pretty solid, I think.
1: Yeah, it's been great. No, No complaints there. I mean, I thought about, you know, having some redundancies, but it's just like, it's just never been needed.
2: Yeah. So like when you say redundancies, you mean like what happens if my phone dies kind of thing or.
1: Right. things like that. I mean, I thought about maybe tying in our motion sensors into the whole mix, but it's like until the phones really, something bad has to happen to our phones before even that something like that happens.
0: Sure. Sure. So my phone, my pixel decided that it would die this week. And oh, uh no. yeah, and so I can I can attest that you should always have some form of backup. Uh <laughs> case in point tonight when I came home by myself, because my phone obviously doesn't turn on anymore, the house doesn't know that I'm home and sort of, you know, it'll start sending me Facebook messages which I can't receive because my phone doesn't <laughs> turn on. Uh but I do have and I've mentioned on the podcast before that the tablet on the wall I can just go in and punch a code and disable the alarm panel in home assistant and that also triggers the house to activate um, that someone's home so that was a lifesaver for me tonight so i do yeah if you do like i know you might think oh something catastrophic will have to happen to my phone but all it takes is for someone to drop their phone in the pool or get it crushed under their car in in the door or something and then you can't get your home assistant to recognize your home it can be a very frustrating experience
1: i can imagine and now that you've shared your horror story, I'm going to have to start thinking of something. Maybe
0: <laughs> I do recommend the um, the manual um, alarm component in Home Assistant. Uh, if you can hook it up with like an MQTT broker, it just you give it a you set it up as a pin code, and then I have it set so if the alarm panel is disarmed, then someone is home, and that's it. Then the automations are based on that.
1: Okay. Oh, that sounds good.
0: That seemed to be the the easiest and yeah simple override i could imagine otherwise i guess if you wanted to get really fancy and this is what i i thought about maybe using some xiaomi door window sensors for you could maybe put them on certain drawers in your kitchen and then maybe have like a combination so when you open the top drawer and the bottom drawer and then the middle drawer all in the same sequence it like tells home assistant that it's you maybe that would be a, a cool way to disarm an alarm interesting
2: yeah Oh, those are good ideas. So basically, a pin code, but using your drawers or so- or something. Like yeah,
0: or doors or, or something. something. Yeah. yeah, there are. Mm. Yeah, so many interesting use cases for those door window sensors. I haven't got too many to think of. Yeah, <laughs>
2: no, those are good ideas. That's actually I, it, it's funny because I mean Phil Phil and I talk almost every day, and I've I've never actually thought of this. I, I do you, do you do this, Phil? I didn't think you did, but that's that's actually really cool.
0: No, no, this is just something I I, I thought of because I. I purchased a whole bunch extra um, of these door window sensors because, you know, they're cheap and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have a use case for them. And now they're sitting on my desk and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with you? And then I was like, oh, because I think it was the, the there's those magic cards where people have those RFID tags mm-hmm. and they can put them up to a, an NFC reader and then play music. And then I thought, oh, well, you've got these door window sensors. And remember those, um, we have a hidden door behind a a bookcase and you open up a certain book and then it opens up the whole door. So maybe you could do, you know, drawers or anything and then have, you know, certain combinations with you. If you can open, like, obviously you'd need to be able to track the state and the ordering that everything happened, but yeah, it would be pretty funky. Like imagine a, a party, everyone's over at your house and you're just like, Hey guys, watch this. When I do it this way, this happens. I mean, Maybe that's a way to sell home automation to other people.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> make make it entertaining. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So so, Sean, how many people are uh, in your smart home? Like that that utilize this entire system?
1: Uh, just my wife and I and a cat.
2: Okay, that's actually interesting. How do you how do you deal with the cat?
1: <laughs> uh, I've learned to live with it. <laughs> it's just. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually the Xiaomi sensors are really good about not triggering with the, the CAD, unless the cat is like really up in its uh sensor, like really right up yep. against it. But I mean yep. the the Hue the Hue picks up everything, which is uh so I've had I have two of the Hue motion and then two of the Xiaomi motion sensors and I've had to choose which rooms would be best for each one just depending on the cat. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so the the, the Hue Goes into like the smaller areas, like the bathroom or or the bedroom, whereas the uh, the Xiaomi goes into like just high traffic areas because it just won't trigger as often.
0: Does the hue motion sensor allow you to adjust the sensitivity of how much motion it needs to trigger?
1: Yeah, I know it did in the app itself. The hue the hue app. Um, Yep. I don't know. I I never really bothered. Once I got it into Home Assistant, I never really bothered tweaking anything else in the app. So that's not a bad idea. I'm assuming it'll work. But yeah, I had to use a custom component just to get the motion sensors to work from the Hue stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. But no, I, I never even thought about going back into the app. That's not a bad idea.
0: Because I know I have a whole bunch of uh, Z-Wave multi-sensors and inside them there's a, uh, a physical dial that you can adjust the sensitivity on for things I'm guessing, you know, for, for pets so that you don't yeah. want a dog or something running around your house and triggering all your motion sensors at once.
1: Right. No, no. I'll have to double check that because that's not a bad bad idea.
2: Yeah. And and I think there's, there's gotta be quite a bit of testing though, right? Like you don't want to make it so, I don't want to call it insensitive, but, but, but you, you don't want to turn down the sensitivity so much at the point where, you know, if, if you're walking around or, or something and, and you want you to make sure that it actually captures you guys, right? Like,
1: Right. Yeah. I don't want to make it to the point where it's almost
2: useless. Yeah. So, so a little bit, so a little bit of tweaking, I guess.
0: You could go full ghetto and I've seen this posted, maybe it was on Reddit or in the, the home assistant forums where you can actually put a bit of duct tape on the bottom of the sensor so that it doesn't pick up any motion from the floor and only like human height, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I apologize to people that do that it, it, it's it's there, there's there's for me at least there's no way my my partner would let me uh uh do do that and keep that invisible sight of anything <laughs> and she'll be like that's ugly take that down right now I mean
1: it's a clever it's a clever idea to, for effects but I mean I guess it really just also depends where your motion sensors are located for instance not all of mine are located like up in the corner of the ceiling or anything like that. Some of them mm-hmm. are just located around to where, you know, the best possible view of where we're more, more likely going to be uh, in the room. So it's just, I like the idea, but it would still, cause you know, the cat, the cat likes to hop up on high things.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: So still no way to fix that yet.
2: Yeah, that's true. Cause yeah. Like jump up on a couch or something too. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah.
0: So do you have a favorite automation and what would it be?
1: Favorite automation. As of right now, probably it's when uh, we both go to sleep. I I have Tasker on my phone and I've been using Tasker for years. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really got me into automation was just Mm -hmm. messing around with different things. And I set it up to where it does a HTTP post or something like that to where whenever we plug in the chargers for our phones after a certain time uh all the lights in the house goes off you know the volume on all the google homes go down that kind of thing and that's probably the one that i like the most because it was a huge pain to set up and i felt really accomplished after doing it <laughs> but I, that's probably my favorite the other one that comes in a close second is probably uh whenever we watch something on plex the lights dim and pause the lights kind of you know brighten up to 50 percent. that kind of thing like a movie theater experience
2: yeah yeah that's cool
1: yeah it's so simple but it's just like it's it is the most fun
0: do you are you using the native plex um component in home assistant for that yeah
1: yeah um been using that i didn't know if there was a different alternative but it's been mostly solid there's every once in a while the timing on it gets off like for instance if i whenever we pause or play the movie it'll take like 30 seconds to emit just for the lights to turn off
2: yeah
0: yeah, because I, I, I have the same uh, setup, and I believe there is. You can either use uh, the webhooks in Plex now, so that uh, when the server detects that you started playing, it will push that information to Home Assistant. Oh, okay. Yeah, because what the native Plex integration does in Home Assistant it actually polls, uh, I think, every thirty seconds or whatever, yeah, to see you know what are you doing now, what are you doing now, what are you doing now. So there's always going to be that little bit of delay. But if you do want it more closer to instant, so as soon as you hit the play button, the lights go down, you can look into using webhooks from the Plex media server. Otherwise, you might also be able to use Tortili, which is another system you can run to monitor the status of your Plex server and have that tell Home Assistant to dim the lights.
1: Oh, okay. I seem to remember, so I haven't looked at my configuration for a long time, ever since I got it working, which was... Is- Years ago now, it's just I think there was also something about a scan interval where you could change it to like one second, and it's supposed to pull every second. But I don't know how well that works either. Yeah. yeah, gotta watch
0: out for that with with that though.
2: Yeah, especially again, especially if you're I guess now you've moved off your Raspberry Pi, but but if you were to, that would be yeah, you're you're gonna eat up a lot of CPU cycles doing that. Not not a lot of CPU cycles. It's just it has to it has to do it right. And right. I mean, You're putting load on your Plex server. You're putting load on your Oh, it isn't and uh the 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 nice thing is I do I, I like the webhooks method. Like web hooks are I don't know, in, in my opinion, it's definitely like very modern, right? I think I think it's a good way of saying it in terms of yeah. uh but why don't you have Plex tell you when it's playing rather than the other way, rather than you mm. constantly asking, right?
1: Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Because I mean a, a restart takes care of it, but I don't want to have to restart every other day just to get Plex to work correctly.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's that's it, right? I was browsing around your uh, Git repo the other day, and I noticed your vacuum cleaner is called Rosie. That be, <laughs> am I
2: reading that correctly? Yes, that's that's true. That's amazing. Yeah, is, just, that a, is that a, is that is that homage to the Jetsons? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sure I'm not yes. the first person to think of that. It's just I remember <laughs> the Jetsons, and it's like, well, they we had Rosie. I mean, we'll have, we'll call her Rosie. I don't know that's, why we automatically amazing. defaulted it to being a her either, but I, who knows? <laughs>
0: So Rosie has uh, the cleaning map in your UI. Yeah. And uh, this is the first time I've seen the the cleaning map. Is that something that you generated or is it something that the vacuum cleaner generates and they've just put into Home Assistant somehow?
1: Yeah, no, Neato, it generates it on, in the app, it, um, Neato's end itself. And whoever made the Neato component just was able to make it drop in there. And I just thought it'd be fun to throw and see whenever it's done because uh, the Neato app... I. I'm not a fan of it. It's kind of, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it was the UI on it. it's great. So I just wanted just quick access. and like, when it's done, I just want to open it up, see what it did and close it immediately without having to tap a few buttons because I'm lazy. Yep. And so the Home Assistant thing, the inter- integration was just perfect. Drop the it right in there, one button, that's all you need to worry about. And then you can see the results at a glance.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, that's great
1: yeah that's great out of everything that we've purchased so far it's just that's probably the most one that we we both like the most
0: yeah how do you find it as a, a vacuum cleaner does it do a, a good job
1: oh yeah it's um see we had a uh, kind of a cheaper like 30 dollar vacuum cleaner that we got from like target or something like that and um it yeah. wasn't very adjustable you couldn't really do much with it i wanted to try this out and and unsurprisingly, this was probably the easiest thing to convince my wife for us to get. We tried it out, and it turns out it does just a better job in general. The only thing, it struggles with corners and the sidewalls, because we didn't offer an extra $100 for a side brush, but mm-hmm. um, it gets closer to the ground it, it, and, you know, with the cat. It goes into places that we couldn't get into. what the cat could get to, and so it was just piles and piles of hair that just needed to be picked up, and it does a great job. It's like, it's, I don't regret it one bit.
0: And it doesn't choke with all the cat hair?
1: No, no, it's been fine. I mean, I remember the first time we got it, we had to run it twice just because of all the cat hair. It's just like, yeah. like, for instance, like you can't really vacuum underneath your bed very well, but cats love being underneath the bed. And so he would. He would before uh, we were here for maybe about a year before we got the vacuum, so there was just cat hair. I'll just, I'm sure a, sh- a small little layer of it underneath our bed and the vacuum cleaner it's no problem. I recommend it.
0: That'll be uh, a future purchase when I can justify it.
2: Yeah. I, I will say doing, uh, getting a robot vacuum is definitely, uh, handy. And, and like you said, it's, it's when you get on places that you normally can't reach or can't, you know, can't fit your vacuum cleaner under like under the couch or under your bed and stuff without physically moving it. Right. Oh yeah. And that's uh, great. I remember the same thing with mine uh, when I, when I, when my room first got under my bed, it was just like, you know, just stuff, right? Like just, you know, like uh, dust and all that stuff that collects as yeah. well. It's actually like really gross. Cause I
1: mean, how often do people vacuum? Like once a week, twice a week, something yeah. like that. I mean, I could run, I, I did an experiment where I ran it every day for a week and I don't know it was just the cat. But I was surprised every day at how much it still picked up, mm-hmm. and it was just like it's almost like I don't even want to think about it. It's it's pretty gross.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, also on your GitHub repo, you have your home automation philosophy, and one of the quotes on there is, "You shouldn't have to work <laughs> the room; the room should work for you."
1: That's a quote from my wife. <laughs> she was she was making a joke, it's like yeah, uh, and uh, I was telling her how. I want her a house to be. She's so like, yeah, you want the room to work you and not the other way around. It's like, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to get there. I'm struggling with the um, room presence. And I know there's a lot of good and uh, pricey solutions out there, but I've been trying to figure out good ways just to like, have the rooms always know when, when you know, we're inside of them. And the only thing I've really have so far is like uh, a timer on the automations for like, uh, for lights. Like, if the motion sensor hasn't been triggered for 10 minutes, go ahead and turn off the lights, that kind of thing. And I've been trying to mm-hmm. think of more creative ways to like, Hey, we're definitely in the rooms still, even though the motion trigger hasn't triggered at all. So that's where I'm really struggling with. And that's how I'm trying to get, you know, essentially the, the room to read you so to speak. And
0: Yeah. So I have a couple of solutions. So for the living room, if the TV's on, then someone is in the room. Same with the bedroom. If the bedroom TV is on, then it will know that the room is occupied, even if the motion sensor turns off. Right. The, the struggle is if you're sitting still and the motion sensor turns off, yeah, it's hard to, to know if someone's in the room.
1: Yeah, it's like watching TV or something, that's no big deal. The lights should be off anyways, but like for eating dinner or or something along those lines, I mean, that's yeah. that's a recipe for a lot of frustration yeah. right in the making of um, it's just I'm just trying to I've been trying to think of ways because what's nice is um, when you don't want to spend a lot of money, you get a lot more creative. <laughs> and because, you know, you can't just throw money at the problem and have it go away. And so I've been really trying to think of ways outside the box. And like, for instance, in my office, we have a motion sensor in here. But the way that I've made it so we like uh, it always knows that we're in here. It knows uh, I have a Steam account. And so whenever I'm on my computer, it triggers Steam saying that I'm here. So that tells Home Assistant that, hey, I'm on my computer. Yep. Yep. And the other way is for my wife when she's on her laptop, it's almost always plugged in, so I just have to detect the wattage coming out of the wall, and um, so that's also tells Home Assistant that we're in here using, we're working on something. And I just wish there was more right. more things for like the bedroom or the living room. Just trying trying to think of more things.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the problem. That's where it comes. This is where like a lot of companies come out and say, "Yeah, we'll make you a, a nice smart home or whatever." But it's not until you get down to these finer details that every house is unique. Like you can't there's yeah. not a a solution that would apply for you or for my house that would work in this situation.
2: Yeah. Well, it, it's it's behaviors that are different too, right? Um, oh, absolutely. I might like something and you might absolutely hate it, right?
1: Yeah, I was thinking of what are they called Bayesian sensors like making one up and but i don't think i have enough Mm -hmm. uh, i guess data data points to look at to actually make it worthwhile per room like have like a bayesian sensor like hey is living room active and then do one for the office and for the bedroom and if you know i don't think i don't think i have enough to make that work but i that's the only thing i can really think of at this time but i I think i need more sensors
0: yeah you need a lot of data to sort of give it enough information to to make a decision
1: yeah oh, i'm sure i'll think of something it might be expensive though
0: <laughs> the other option is uh if you carry your phone with you there's the room assistant which allows you to just set a whole bunch of raspberry pies in a room and it tracks your bluetooth basically finds out which one you're closest to and then reports you as in being inside that room
1: yeah i've seen it and that yeah. looks really really cool
0: but it, it does require you to carry your phone with you everywhere.
1: Right. That's so. that's the big problem. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I can't, no way I can guarantee that we do that.
2: Yeah. The nice thing is if you, if you, if you are used to doing that, it's kind of passive. It's, it's a passive way of you, of, you know, your house knowing where you are, right? Yeah. I, I, again, it's, it's a habit thing, right? What do you, how do you, how do you operate?
1: Yeah. I, I seem to remember an article about a new Wi-Fi system or something like that, where this, the router can determine where you are in the house by the Wi-Fi signal. It'll bounce off you and come back. Yes, I don't know yes. if that's even a thing yet, but I also know that would be also stupidly expensive whenever it comes out. But that's that seems like when that eventually does, like that's going to be the, the perfect solution right there if it if it works as well as they say it does. Yeah, but that's the only thing I can really think of without spending. You know, having multiple tiny sensors everywhere, carrying your phone, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember what it was called, but we did talk about it in one of the episodes and uh, it was, yeah, it, it's it's pretty neat because it basically, like you said, it uses RF to kind of determine where you are and uh, basically builds a giant mesh around the house and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's kind of cool. That would be really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it'd be awesome. I, that would solve the problem right there.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's an inexpensive solution or not. I think I would... I would think it's not, but I don't know. That's the Xandom system, which
0: I don't think is for sale yet. Another phone tracking option could be to use something called Find, which is an app you can install on your phone, which can then detect which room your phone is in based on your Wi-Fi. Interesting. Really? I'm not sure if it needs, like, any uh, special, like, hardware either.
1: Oh, interesting. So you can just slap it on your own router and then it'll work. Because, I mean, I'm on there right now and... You guys are going to know more about the compatibility of this than I am.
0: Uh, It allows you to use your Android smartphone or Wi-Fi enabled computer, laptop or Raspberry Pi to determine your position within your home or office. You can easily use this system in place of motion sensors as its resolution will allow your phone to distinguish whether you are in the living room, the kitchen or the bedroom. And the position information can then be used in a variety of ways, including home automation, wayfinding or tracking.
2: Yeah, interesting. This so this looks like a framework more than anything else, right?
0: So how does it work? So
2: it uses uh, already available Wi-Fi
0: information to classify.
2: So normally, again, in uh, in other environments like uh, retail stores and things like that, you would triangulate, right? So you need multiple yeah multiple yeah. points of data, um, whether it's Wi-Fi or whatever. You, even with wireless, you typically did. You know, standard is again triangulate, right? You need at least three three wireless access points to be able to see you and stuff. And and I mean, if you have that at home, great. But a lot of people don't, so I don't know how, I don't know how accurate this would be.
0: So the difference between uh, so what you're describing is the the owner of the Wi-Fi determining you know the users where they are in the store. Yeah. So you would need the three signals, but uh, this application, so this app that you would install on your phone. Uh, is the other way around. It's you finding out based on the uh, access point whereabouts you are. So, you, it knows that uh, in a certain room, it will have this sort of strength and it can basically build a fingerprint. So, it knows, all right, uh, this strength and it's this way uh, in this direction, I sort of get this number sort of thing. And then it reports it to itself and then you have that data. So, then you can report it back to home assistant to say, this is where I am in the house. Right, right. Whereas... In your description with the sh- store that wants to know where its customers are, they don't have access to an app on that phone to get the unique
2: information of where it is exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. So, right, that makes sense then. If it's if it's on your phone pushing data the other way because... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it still wouldn't be 100% like this room versus that room. Dep- it depends on how your house would be set up. It, yeah, that's very true. So, but that's neat though. It's good to know.
1: Yeah, someone way smarter than me is going to have to figure this out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Oh.
1: Wow. Problem will be solved in probably another couple of years. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's lots of people working on it. I think I Xandam and a whole bunch of other people. Your other option is you just put a whole uh, bunch of cameras <laughs> in your house, and then you do face detection. If the camera can recognize your face in the image, then it knows you're in that room.
1: I don't think I could put a camera in every single room.
2: Yeah. For for me, it's it's like a, that's like a, al- it's almost intrusive, right?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it feels weird. I mean, I know it would be like on my own system and it probably, I would go for the local route because I've learned local is best. And it's yeah. just, it just feels like I'm still being watched, even though I'm watching myself. It's still kind of weird feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also know my problem is because I don't have this technical background. I just see something that's like, well, why doesn't it work like this? I have, I have that question was like, well, why can't it just do this or something without really thinking of the technical ramifications of getting something as simple as, you know, detecting a person is. And I think sure. also a lot of people who come into home automation, they because what we want to do is seemingly, uh, it's as simple as turning on a light, which for everyone, that's easy. You know, everyone understands the concept of turning on a switch, but they don't realize the complexity and how much, work is required just to actually do it in a smart way. And I, yeah. and I, I run into that problem so much. It's like, well, why can't it just work, like, you know, be easy? Like, that was easy. And because it's just simply, we're just ignorant and simply just don't understand just how much, how much work it really, really
2: is. I think that's, uh, that's mostly what we had for you. Did you have any, uh, anything kind of to end with or anything? Or
1: Well, I'll say if I can learn how to do home assistant, you can too.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree.
1: <laughs> because I do not have a technical background at all. And it's just, it was it was quite the difficult learning experience starting off because my, my background's in graphic design. I don't have any kind of real technical background. And it's just like, it, it was it was daunting at first, but there are a lot of great resources. And also now the uh, Home Assistant Awesome mm-hmm. wiki that someone made, it's like, I wish that was around two years ago because that, that is a wonderful resource. And it's just like, if you're on the fence about starting out with it, I recommend getting into it now because it's just only going to get easier from here.
0: Yeah. So you have your background in graphic design. Did you find YAML and all that as steep learning curve to start coding your automation? Uh, thing?
1: Looking at it as a first timer, it was daunting, but the more you got into it, you realize there's like, there's a logic to it. And, you know, like a, like a hierarchy to everything is like it took me a couple hours but then once I understood just how it's set up it, it, it also just clicked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not so bad. I mean I prefer to work I know people a lot of will go to uh, Node Red and stuff cuz it's very also a very visual way of going by your automations but at this point it's just I'm I'm comfortable with YAML enough to where it's just like I I don't need the Node Red but I mean, for first timers and new beginners, I, I I would probably recommend the visual visual route. Even though I've never used No Red, so I don't know how confusing it is. Mm-hmm. But it's just now it's it's not it's not too bad. And I I, I see the pattern. The, the things that I struggle with now is not realizing that there's a particular function that um, can do something. And I had to, you know, I read the forums or the uh, some Reddit posts where it's just like, oh, I had no idea that was even possible. Like for instance, I know one of my automations has the, the delay function in it, which I didn't know existed for over a year until someone mentioned it. And it's awesome. I love using the delay function, but it's just, unless yeah. you know, it's not there to begin with. It's just like, I could see someone really struggling with trying to find a particular way to do something without their, you know, their search capabilities on the website it may not be great and, or they're not really good at using Google. But aside from that, it's just almost not, not bad.
2: Yeah and it's getting a lot easier with Hasio as well right it's uh at least it's 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 a platform to start with right and then uh yeah
1: yeah no i I've, I've been wanting to try Hasio it's just and um is, does it re add, this requires a raspberry pi to do right so
0: there's a couple of options so the the default way to run Hasio is with uh, it's like an image, good to go on a Raspberry Pi. But in your case, because you have your uh, Linux server running, as long as you've got Docker uh, installed on your on your machine, uh, you can actually, ins- there's a script on the Hasio instructions that will go ahead and install Supervisor and then run Hasio and which will then spin up its own Supervisor container and then go ahead and run Hasio on a Linux uh, machine.
1: Oh, okay. I, I'm not familiar with Docker. Either. I hear people talk about it all the time. And it's just, honestly, getting the whole Linux VM to run was infinitely more confusing than Home Assistant for me.
0: Well, I mean, if you only have graphic designs, like if you're not a programmer, and you're only a graphic designer, then that makes, yeah, I can yeah, see that. It, it was tough. And I
1: don't, I And mean, as soon as I uh, got everything, I made a snapshot. It's like, I'm never doing this again.
2: yeah yeah fair 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 enough fair enough it's uh yeah it can be a bit daunting sometimes right
1: yeah especially yeah for someone like me uh wouldn't recommend it stick with the raspberry Pi if you can yeah
0: all right well i think guess that's all our questions (laughs) we've got a bit sidetracked well sean thank you so much for having a chat with us today and it it's good to see that not any like not just coders can use home assistant. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your story with us.
1: Well no, thank you all too. I I've had a great time. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: Cheers. Thank you Cheers. very much.
1: Thank you.